the Diocese of Springfield in Illinois. This is Dive Deep, where we dive deep into our Catholic faith. I'm Andrew Hanson. She is Amber Servany. Happy New Year, Amber. Same to you, Andrew. Your hope for 2020, your resolution? Peace. 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 Mine's more sleep, but that's <laughs> not kinda, happening that, that's, out, that's out of my control. Uh, special guest here on Dive Deep, Teresa Tamio. We're really looking forward to this. She's a syndicated Catholic talk show host. You may have listened to her on EWTN, seen her on EWTN, of course, uh, radio as well. You may have read her book. She's got numerous books. She's an international speaker. She's got more than 30 years of experience in TV, radio, and newspaper. And her weekday morning radio program called Catholic Connection. It's produced by Ave Maria Radio, and it's heard on more than 500 radio stations worldwide and on the Internet through the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Teresa Tamio joins us on Dive Deep. Teresa, thanks for coming on. How are you? I'm great. Happy New Year. Happy, Happy New 2020. Year. Thank you so much. Your your hope for or New Year's resolution for 2020? Well, my, my hope is always, and I said this at Mass uh, on, on the uh, actual New Year's Day, which is a holy day as we all know, but also over the weekend, that I just am open to what God wants me to do. And so I just look forward to, God willing, another year of doing the show and many talks. I think I have eight events that I'm doing in the next two months alone, speaking events around the country. And whatever the Lord wants me to do, that I'm open to His will. That's my, that's my prayer and my resolution, not only every year, but every day. I like this. You want peace, Amber. She wants God's will. I want more sleep. So that, that, that put it in perspective for me really quick. All right. So Teresa, um, we're going to talk about a lot of things with her. We're going to talk about the abortion issue, uh, the March for Life, where she always reports from, uh, the role of women in the church, especially we saw that recently pop up at the Amazon Synod at the Vatican. Um, and uh, the issue of nuns, the N-O-N-E-S, people who say, uh, if you ask them what religion they are, they say, I'm none, as well as several books. Teresa's wrote several books. Amber, I know you've You've read them as well. you've read them, and they're wonderful. So we're going to talk about those and tell you how you can get those as well. The first things first, uh, Teresa. You're always out at the March for Life. You're going to be at the March for Life uh-huh. in Washington D.C. again coming up. You'll be reporting for EWTN. You know, you see all these polls. You know, new data says the abortion rate continues to decline. That's good. You've seen other things. I saw a poll that said support for legal abortion matches is 24 year high. And sometimes you see polls that say the pro life movement is definitely on the up and up. So your pulse when you're in DC, what, what do you think? How, how life-minded as a culture, are we trending toward more being more life-minded? I, I think we've been more life-minded uh, for a long time, but the media are not giving you the full story in, in terms of the surveys. They, they don't tell you how the questions are asked. And I think it's really interesting if we can actually go to the studies that they're talking about and see what types of questions they're asked. What they don't do is they don't uh, account for the people who want a lot of restrictions on on abortion, even if they say they're pro-choice. They don't believe in abortion on demand through nine months of pregnancy. They believe in, um, you know, parental uh, consent. They believe in a waiting period. So all these things that the media aren't telling you, the media want you to believe that people support abortion demand through nine months of pregnancy, which is legal according to Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton, but they want you to think that all of us out there are on board with that, and that's simply not the case. I've been covering this march now for a long time. And I'm doing the live coverage again on January 24th, and I hope you guys can can tune in. You can go to watch it online at EWTN.com or just live stream it or watch us on, on TV live as well. And last year I was there, there probably were at least three to 500,000 people there. It's my guesstimate based on my experience as a journalist and covering events like this one. It's huge, and it's international, and there are so many different groups represented. We have a group, Atheists for Life, believe it or not. I really don't think they're atheists. They just don't know it yet. But there's all kinds of groups from all over the world, a lot of young people, and unlike another 
false story that the secular media give you is that, oh, well, these young people are just going because they have a day off. Well, no. Maybe some want to go and take part in the fun festivities because it is fun to be with your friends and to be at the, the rally and to be at the mass in the morning. But I talk to these people every year, and I and I pull young people off randomly. I, I do about two hours of street interviews before the march begins, and then once the march begins, I'm walking up Constitution Avenue with, with my cameraman and my crew, and I'm just pulling people off the street, left and right. I don't know where they're from. I, I don't know them, and I interview a lot of young people. I've never had a situation in the last – I think I've been covering the TV end of it for 15 years now. I've never had a young person, whether they're in college or high school, that was not articulate, that was not well-informed, that didn't know the pro-life argument. So this is not some random group of kids that just shows up every year because it's a day off of school and they want to party on the bus or something. Uh, so these young people are have a mission. And it's not just young people. It's groups, again, different types, different churches represented. There's a large uh, group of, of Jewish brothers and sisters that show up. There's people from Ireland, from Italy, from the continent of Africa. It, it's, it's incredible. And it's a beautiful statement, and people need to watch it to get a sense of just how big the pro-life movement is. And we saw a poll in uh, December, a new data, I should say, that the U.S. abortion rate continues to decline. And, you know, to your point, the secular media points out, well, it's all because of contraception, more contraception use. What they fail to point out is just more women are now choosing to carry their pregnancy to term. Um, when, when, when you're over there in DC and I'm sure you're talking or running into women who, who say, I, I chose life for my son or daughter. What, what, what's your sense when on, on that fact alone, when you say, well, abortion rate is continuing continue to decline, it's only because of contraception. That's a lie. Well, it is a lie. As a matter of fact, the contraception leads to more abortion, not less abortion. That's been proven over and over again. And that's why Planned Parenthood continues to sell contraception. They sell sexual activity because they can get young people, especially in, to try to use condoms and go on the pill, which which don't have a, a very good success rate in um, presenting uh, preventing pregnancies. And so it's like a it's, it's like a vicious cycle for them. They get them involved in sexual activity, promote it. They talk about doing whatever you want, and you you know reproductive rights. But the bottom line is, is that the more contraceptives, think about it. Think about all the contraceptives that are available and how easy it is for anyone to get, let's say, a prescription to the birth control pill, for example, not to mention all the over-the-counter contraceptives. And yet people are still getting pregnant. And and so it doesn't work this way. The more you promote sexual activity, the more problems you're going to have. But in terms of of what people are saying in in terms of choosing life, they're getting more information because stories are getting out there. Despite the bias of the secular media, more and more women and couples are speaking out about why they chose to, to save their baby. And a lot of women are learning and men, couples are learning that there is help available. Unlike what Planned Parenthood tries to sell them and saying that, well, all they care about is the baby. They don't care about you. It's the pregnancy resource centers you know, with the boots on the ground that are making a difference and offering not only counseling, but financial assistance, rides to doctor's appointments, parenting classes up to three years, providing them with baby clothes, with baby food. So women are getting the information when they get the information and when they see the baby on the ultrasound, that also makes a huge difference in deciding to, to say yes to life. Definitely. And you know, one thing with the March this year, I thought was really great um, is their theme. I like this pro woman theme because I think the message you get from Planned Parenthood is that they're pro woman and the pro life people aren't somehow anti woman. Um, So I think this theme really uh, hits home this year um, and is a good way to kind of change the message that Planned Parenthood is putting out there. 
Yeah, the theme is, is great, and folks can see it on the homepage of the MarchYourLife.org website, MarchYourLife.org, and it's uh, Life Empowers, Pro-Life is Pro-Woman. And why did we get to a situation in our country, in our world, where we think that being a woman means you have to have the right through nine months of pregnancy to kill your own flesh and blood? How demeaning. And it, it just drives me nuts when I see the signs that say, trust women. Okay, if you trust women, why aren't you giving them all the information? Why aren't you talking about the connection between abortion and breast cancer? Why aren't you talking about how most individual abortion facilities around the country are less regulated than your local nail salon? Why aren't you talking about the fallout, what can happen, what can go wrong uh, with an abortion when it involves a, a woman's health and, quote, unquote, her reproduction? There's so many stories that, that aren't out there. And I think showing pro-life is pro-woman and you know, life is empowering is huge. And it picks up on the 100th anniversary this year of the woman's right to vote. Because if you go on the March for Life website and you see the um, image that they have, they have one of the suffragettes holding the sign that pro-life is, is pro-woman. So they have kind of this caricature of a woman in the early uh, 20th century. I was watching the Rose Bowl. And they had a float dedicated to this, to the right to vote. And all these women dressed in period costumes, and the announcer was mentioning Susan B. Anthony and other suffragettes, but little do they know that those women were staunchly pro-life or womb to tomb. So this is another huge area of education. We could be using this to tweet and to post and to talk about the suffragettes and how they felt about the abortion issue. Well, it's really encouraging to hear someone on the front lines as yourself who's been reporting on this issue for so many years see this shift in our young people and see this shift in our culture toward a more culture of life. I mean, you see that you see it in the statistics, not only the polls, but you look at the amount of abortion clinics that are, are open today versus 20, 30 years ago. And it's what half, or maybe it's, you know, mm -hmm. maybe a third have closed. So that's, that's very encouraging uh, to, to see now switching gears a little bit, Teresa here, uh, speaking, speaking of women uh, in 2008, you were selected as an international de delegate at the Vatican Women's Congress. So uh, talking about women's role in the church here, uh, we had the Amazon Synod who, who brought up, brought this issue up recently at the Vatican. But before we get into that, tell us about your role in 2008. What was this? What was this part of? This was a, the, uh, a conference that was dedicated to looking at uh, the, the 20th, I think it was the 20th, 20th or 25th anniversary of Mulieris Dignitatum on the Dignity and Vocation of Women, that beautiful letter uh, from John Paul II. And so they invited uh, women from around the world. They had a limited number of delegates. I was, I was just in awe of being invited. And so we were able to go and listen to discussions on the role of women and, and how far we've come in terms of helping women recognize their true dignity. So they had a number of different speakers uh, from the church and from elsewhere. And so it was my job to basically go there and, and then to report back to, to my archbishop. And I also covered it for our Sunday visitor. I've been a columnist uh, for them for almost 15 years now. So I did a, a big cover story on the event. It was really, it was beautiful. It was fascinating. And it just made me appreciate the church teaching on women even more. It was, it was I'll never forget it. Never forget it. And Teresa, that kind of brings us a little bit to um, wine, the women in the new evangelization and the work that you do um, with them. I mean, that's how I um, actually got to meet you. Um, and mm -hmm. I just was amazed and I am amazed at the work that they're doing and um, the messages they're putting out there uh, for women in the church. Um, can you tell us a little bit yeah, about it, wine? Yeah, it's a great ministry. I'm, I'm on the board and I'm so honored to be a part of wine. It stands for, as you said, women in the new evangelization and Catholic vineyard 
com is our website, and Kelly Walquist is a foundress, and it really is is about helping women embrace who they are and providing opportunities for them to relate to one another. So we have a book club, we have a newsletter, we have wine regional conferences, which we had in, in your diocese. I can't believe it's gosh, was it five months ago we had it already, and it was fantastic. So it's an opportunity for women to come together uh, from the Catholic Church, all walks of life, whether they're moms, whether they're single, whether they're students, and to really have a deeper understanding of who they are and how they were created to relate with each other and all about their dignity, helping them understand who they are made in the image and likeness of God, which getting back to your earlier questions about the church and what was coming up at the Amazon Synod, we need to, to help women learn about documents like Mulieris Dignitatum or the Papal Letter to Women, or to learn more about the great saints like St. Catherine of Siena, uh, St. Teresa of Avila, my favorite, you know, um, St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, who, who was a Jewish convert to Catholicism. These are women who were trailblazers. I mean, St. Joan of Arc, just countless saints that didn't have to do what a man does or did in the church in their respective time periods in order to to get ahead and make a point. And so as long as we're looking at roles for women, true roles for women, as we are designed in the image and likeness of God, and not always trying to do what men do in the church, equality does not equal sameness. I don't know where we got this idea. It had a lot to do with, of course, the sexual revolution back in the 60s that we're still suffering from the fallout. But we've got to understand that God has a plan for us. And if we would embrace and read what the church has to say about it, as opposed to trying to change things so much, personally speaking, I know we'd be a lot happier. Do you think that you think the church is doing a good job right now in, in terms of uh, recognizing women and their roles and their vocations and what they bring, their gifts they bring to the church? And, and if not, what can the church do better? I think we can all, always do better at that. I think there's been a, a lot of great work done. For example, um, again, the writings of John Paul II, Theology of the Body, ministries like Women in the New Evangelization, uh, ministries such as FOCUS, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students, which always addresses um, all students, both male and female, which is great. All kinds of different Bible studies, different Catholic programs. We do the Catholic View for Women. My friend Jeanette Bankovic with Women of Grace. Again, Kelly's great ministry. There's so many Bible studies. Uh, you know, Blessed is She, uh, uh, Walking with a Purpose. All these different things that are out there that are helping women understand. But there has to be a better outreach. I think at the parish level to really help women break open some of these documents. And Dow has been fantastic, educating on the nature and dignity of women. Most of these are lay apostolates, but they've been uh, supported with the blessing of really good church leadership. So we're doing some, but we need to do more because there's so many women that don't know who they are and for what and for whom they were created. And that, to me, is such a great loss because women are led to believe, as I was, before I came back to the church and in my rough and tumble days in the secular media, that in order to get ahead, I had to act like a man behaving badly and just be, you know, uber aggressive and ignore my family. And it's all about me when that's not true. You you can work in the world and in the home or stay home. It, it just depends on what God wants you to do. And women need to know they don't have to be like men in order to be successful and faithful. Now you mentioned right there, you coming back to the faith. I think, you know, anyone who has a conversion story or who comes back to the faith, it's always a good story. It's always an inspiring story, especially, uh, for, you know, those lukewarm Catholics or even strong Catholics who, who want to hear these positive stories. So, so tell us your journey, what happened to you and what ultimately brought you back to your Catholic faith? 
Well, it's a long story. Um, <laughs> I, I don't want to give you all the details, but I, I would suggest a couple of things. If you go to my, for I'll, I'll give you the basics, but if you go to my website, TeresaTamio.com, and pick up any of my books, my story is weaved in all of my books. My most recent book is Beyond Sunday, Becoming a 24-7 Catholic, which also has a study guide, and that's based on my own journey back to the church. But suffice it to say, I grew up Catholic, cradle Catholic, but I was very um, much pulled into the world at an early age because I, I was recognized by my uh, teachers, both religious and lay, that I had a gift for communicating and a gift for gab. And so I got on the fast track pretty quickly. By the time I graduated from grade school, I already knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be a broadcast journalist. That time, back in the late 70s, a lot of women were beginning to make a name for themselves. And I love to write and I love to speak. And I was very nosy. So I thought this this broadcast journalism thing would be good for me. And so I just really concentrated on everything, put God aside. And it wasn't until we had a crisis in our marriage after I graduated from college and started working in the business. I met a great guy. We just celebrated, by the way. Um, Dominic and I just celebrated 36 years of marriage. Praise God. He's now a deacon in the church. Yeah. Um, but we were both very career oriented and minded. He's a very successful engineer. And that was what the, you know, we were told, you know, it's all about the money. It's all about the career. Get ahead. You know, you have to make each other happy constantly, but it's all about what you want to do. And we lost track of each along the way and it was a series of personal crises that led me to finally look at the crucifix in my room and say okay you know if you're the god that i met when i made my holy communion because i did have a profound experience back then you know come back into my life and help me because i don't know what the heck i'm doing but it was a gradual process and it took several years to peel away all those layers of toxicity that had built up from uh the very you know liberal culture that i was just just stewing in for, for 20 years as a secular journalist. But when I came back, boy, I came back with um, with a real zeal. And I've been back in the church since 1993. And so what's that, 27 years? And it's just been a crazy, amazing ride where now I'm a Catholic talk show host. My husband's a deacon. And, you know, if you would have told me that 25, 26 years ago, I would have told you I don't know what you're smoking or drinking, but I want some of it. That was my plan for my life. Uh, Long story short, it was all about me. Then I realized, oh, guess what? I'm not God. He is. It's all about him. And I had my come to Jesus moments, several of them that forced me to reevaluate my life. Um, and here I am today. You know, I think when I when I heard your story, um, that's what makes your book so great. I think they're really relatable. I think that's a lot of people that they struggle. Um, they're struggling and they don't even know why they're struggling because really they're just following the message that they've kind of been taught. Um, right. And I think kudos to you for not only like, turning the ship, but like you're plowing ahead. Um, and you had even mentioned that you're going to even write more books in the, in the coming year. So, um, I think that's amazing that you just kind of keep, um, keep saying yes all the time. That's not necessarily an easy thing for people. It's not, but I, I don't know what else to, to do in terms of to show my gratitude to God for, for saving my soul, my life and, and my marriage. I, I feel that I've been given a platform. I mean, I get to be on the air every day for two hours a day around the world. I mean, I'm on something like 300 stations nationwide and over 500 around the world, not to mention the internet and Sirius satellite. And so that's a huge gift that's been given. And so I take it very seriously and I'm not going to sit here and take this lightly. I want to be able to remind people of who God is, of who Jesus is, what they have in store for him. But the biggest thing I want people to know is that God's plan is always the best plan. This was not the plan I had for my life. I didn't grow up wanting to be a Catholic talk show host. I didn't even know that Catholic radio existed. 
And I really resisted uh, leaving the secular media because even after I came back from the church, I thought, oh, great, I'm going to be this on-fire, born-again Catholic, and I'm going to convert everybody in the newsroom. I really thought that God planted me there to stay in the media and make a difference in the newsroom. And it you know, was nice while it lasted, but it didn't last for all that long. At one point when I was really struggling whether to stay or leave, I, I really felt in my heart that God said to me, I can't use you in the secular media anymore. And I didn't want to hear that because I grew up in the secular media. I've been on the radio since I was 14 years old. I was on a high school radio station and I never knew anything else. And I'm thinking, what the heck else am I going to do? I, I didn't know how to do anything else, but I had a lot of skills that I had gained over the years with street reporting and live news reporting and anchoring and writing. And it transfers beautifully into what I've been doing now for the last almost 20 years in, in Catholic media. So it's pretty incredible. We think we're doing this for our plans, but God's got a whole other set. It's like, okay, go ahead, do your thing. Uh -huh. <laughs> but, you know, I'm God, you're not. There and you he's go. using everything that I learned, you know, all those years in, in the rough and tumble secular media to do what I do now. It's incredible. It's crazy. It's, really. it's, it's the way God works, right? Yep. <laughs> now, yep. now, hopefully your story can can be a catalyst for some people because unfortunately we're seeing these these nuns grow, the N-O-N-E-S. These are people when you ask, what is your re religious tradition? They just say none. Uh, they're now as big as evangelicals and Catholics in the U.S. But, you know, to, to be kind of hopeful on it, I was, I was listening to Bishop Barron talk about this subject and he said the people who typically define themselves as none, they didn't just break away from the church and say, ah, the heck with it. It was more of a gradual falling away. So his kind of optimism was that there's still something there that these people want something deeply rooted uh, to try to, you know, bring them back. What's kind of your assessment on this whole issue of more and more people becoming nuns? And what do you think the church needs to do to get them back? Well, I would totally agree with, with Bishop Barron, and, and because I know that's my own case, because I didn't want to stand up one day and say, oh, I'm against the Catholic Church, and I'm walking away. It was a gradual thing. I got pulled into the world and pulled away from the church, and this was for me in the 70s and the 80s. We didn't have a gazillion uh, TV stations and satellite channels and cable and the Internet and Twitter and Snapchat and Instagram and everything that we're doing now with texting and, and you know online social media outlets, we're just inundated with media 24-7. Media were very strong because I soaked up a lot of it, but it wasn't nearly as strong as it is now. So it's a gradual desensitization that occurs when they get caught up in the world. And a lot of, I think, thankfully it's changing, but a lot of poor catechesis when it comes to, to Catholics. I mean, we've been, that's one of the reasons why EWTN started, Mother Angelica, saw a need of so many poorly catechized Catholics. And that's why we have great shows like Catholic Answers Live that do a great job of educating people in the faith. Um, you know, in my archdiocese, our Archbishop, Bela Bingeron, has done a really cool thing. I wrote a pastoral letter called Unleash the Gospel and is doing a phenomenal job of, you know, getting back to basics. So at the end of the day, what's going to happen, because I know because I was there, these nuns are going to go through, maybe they think they have their career, maybe they're even married, you know, they're starting their life with a family, but nothing is going to replace that relationship with God. So there is going to be an emptiness and a longing that they're going to try to fulfill, because St. Augustine says, our hearts are restless until we rest in thee. So until they find Christ, they're going to be, as I did, thinking, oh, well, the next job, the next news story, the next award, the next this, the next house, the next outfit, the next increase in pay is going to make me happier. It doesn't work that way. Nothing satisfies like that relationship with God. So things that Bishop Barron is doing, for example, with this phenomenal series on Catholicism, his outreach, and I just think sharing our stories, just sharing our testimony, 
and you don't have to sit there and 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 be afraid of what somebody's going to say because it's your story. At the end of the day, you leave it there, and we're not the saviors. Jesus Christ is the savior. So if a person rejects it or maybe doesn't respond with "Aha, I have a V8 moment, and now I want to become a Catholic," you gotta let the Holy Spirit do the do the work. And you you be a witness. You be joyful, just like we are with wine and having fun and being a joyful, you know, Catholic sister or brother in the Lord and let God work. But we have to be willing to make that effort. We have to be willing to stand up for the faith, know it and live it joyfully. And that's how we get those nuns to come back or into the Catholic church. I think um, for Catholics too, when they hear the word evangelization, they're, they, they run for the hills because that's not inherently Catholic. Um, and so your description of saying, just tell your story, um, is, you know, easy to digest and definitely something people can do. But then they hear the word, they think, well, evangelization, that's not me. I'm not, I'm not a holy roller. I'm not going to go talking about Christ everywhere I go. That's, that's not who I am. Um, but people don't think of it like all you need to do is share your story. Um, and that's what transforms lives. Well, I, I think we have to change our attitude that, that, you know, the Catholic church isn't, I mean, the church, her whole existence is about evangelization. So I think the more we educate people on why the church exists, the more they'll understand. And evangelization comes in many forms. I think you're right, Amber, in that people think, they think of evangelization, they think it's standing on a street corner and handing out Bibles or, or you know, scripture tracts or whatever, or going up to someone and say, you know, do you know Jesus? And if you don't, you're going to hell in a handbasket. You know, some people evangelize that way well, uh, but I don't think most people respond to that kind of evangelization. I think most people respond to accompaniment. Uh, the Pope talks about this a lot, but I think we also have to be careful with that word. We accompany people, but we don't, as Archbishop Shaphew says, we don't accompany them off a cliff. But you do meet people where, where they're at and kind of just relate to them if they have a question about the faith. I do a lot of witnessing on the plane. I'm traveling all the time, and people ask me what I do, and I tell them, and you know, and we begin to talk. And it's amazing to me, even with all the scandals in the church, almost always if someone has a Catholic background, they they talk about it a little bit, and there's still that love deep down in the faith. And I think that's the sacraments at work, the grace of the sacraments still working. But evangelization comes in many forms. It could be just showing up and helping someone out with something or just being a really nice, joyful person. My husband just did a homily two weeks ago about uh, Deacon Don and homily about how there was a young girl that I befriended at a journalism conference years ago. Uh, it was right before I, I went into the Catholic media. It was the last journalism conference I ever attended. And she was brand new in the business and she was very scared. Nobody was talking to her. And she, we, we met at a cocktail party and I was, you know, giving her some tips and advice. And we spoke mainly, I don't know, for about, it wasn't even an hour, maybe 30 minutes. And she was telling me where she was from and what she studied and how she's trying to start out. And, Again, I gave her some tips, and I said, "You know what?" I said, "I'm gonna, um, yeah, I'm gonna pray for you, and just stay strong, and God bless you." She started to cry. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, did I say something?" And she said, "Nobody has said that to me in such a long time. The last person to say that to me was my aunt, and she said it's so nice to know that somebody's going to be putting me on their prayer list." It was a simple, "Good luck, God bless you. I'm going to pray for you." That was it, mm-hmm. and she connected with it. Yeah, and, and Bishop so Barrett- evangelization comes in many forms. It doesn't have to be as overt, maybe, you know, as standing on a street corner could be. We have, you know, Catholic street evangelization that does that quite well. But most of us, I think, are going to be called to share what the faith does for us, a little story. You don't have to tell your whole testimony, but maybe a little story. The one thing I also thought was interesting, Teresa, is Bishop Barron brought up when he's talking about these nuns is watering down the faith isn't working. Mm -hmm. 
These people no, are seeking not. those deep conversations. You know, does God exist? Is there an afterlife? What, what, what does hell look like? Uh, what is my soul? I mean, these are some deep theological discussions, and that's what they're craving. Well, yeah, because they're not getting it anywhere else. They're just getting a bunch of fluff, and, and you know, the church, you guys aren't old enough to remember, but there's this comedian, Flip Wilson, who did this segment on a show called The Church of What's Happening Now. It doesn't work. If you look at, at some of the other churches that, that have water down the face, and the people are not banging on the doors, okay? And yet, everywhere I go, wherever I speak, um, one of the questions I always get, and I kid Father John Mercado, who's a, a great teacher from the Archdiocese of Detroit, who's on EW Chan and Ave Maria Radio, the first question I get is, do you know Father John Mercado? So I, if he's a personal friend of mine and, and served as my husband and spiritual director for many years, and so I told him, I said, Father, I'm going to get a sandwich board. And so when I show up at these events, I'm just going to stand up on stage, and on the front of the sandwich board, it's going to say yes, and on the back, it's going to say, I know Father John Mercado, because he's so popular. Why is he popular? Because he speaks the truth. He doesn't water down the face but he's very real. He just has, he's like a, a Fulton Sheen, another Bishop Barron. He has that natural gift of communicating, but he's really talks about his own story, talks about growing up in a home where his mother was Protestant, his father was Catholic. Eventually she converted. He talks about his sisters, his brothers. Talk, he's just real and, and people react to that. Now switching gears now, Teresa, to your books. You've written several books. I know you said you're going to be writing a few more in the upcoming year. Uh, a little before Christmas, you tweeted out uh, your book Beyond Sunday because our Sunday visitor placed your book on the Beyond Sunday uh, list for all to read. And when I saw this, I haven't read the book, but the first thing that kind of popped in my mind when I saw Beyond Sunday is kind of taking back Sunday. And what popped in my mind is what's interesting, and correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't your archbishop, didn't he issue something that said no more sports on Sunday? Yes, he did. And that's part of Unleash the Gospel. And, and, and we just started that. And it was a little rough in the beginning where people were like, what? But the whole idea was to get back again to basics of reclaiming Sunday. And they also just started a new effort, which ties into my book called 52 Sundays where they've come up with a plan on what families can do on Sundays to, to, in addition to going to Mass, okay, what do we do with the Gospel? What do we do with the readings? What do we do with the homily? And how do we apply it to our lives? And so basically that's what I do when Beyond Sunday, the same thing, is, you know, my husband at the end of each Mass says, um, you know, go glorifying God, um, you know, go in peace glorifying God by your life. That could be a, it considered some of the most important words ever in the Mass, because we're not just supposed to leave it there. We're supposed to go into the world glorifying God and taking it every single day. And what I'm trying to get people to understand, and if people want a, a, a good example of this, see what the Pope said uh, with his homily on Epiphany, which was really, really great, about worship and understanding that we have to put God first in everything. So we can't just have this, we, put, we go to Mass and then we put it on the shelf and then we go back to our everyday life. Father John Ricardo talks about practical atheists were people who are going to church, and if you stopped them on the street, unlike the nuns, they would say they believe in God. But at the same time, God doesn't have any practical application in their lives. They're not doing anything. Uh, even if they're going to Mass, they're not, that's about it. They're not applying it in any way. So they're, uh, you know, le they support legalized abortion. They support so-called same-sex marriage. They're not, you know, really challenging themselves and, and seeing why the church teaches what she teaches. But the whole idea of Beyond Sunday is why do we have to go Beyond Sunday and what does it mean? And it's all about that personal encounter with Christ. We've got to get back to the basics, and that's what I talk about in the book. And, and I actually quote a lot of what my archbishop is doing in his pastoral letter on Unleash the Gospel and Beyond Sunday. 
So, so really quick. So the, the no sports on Sunday, you said that was a little, people were like, at first, has that now, has it given time if people started to see the light? People love it now. And I think it, they didn't know if it was going to be possible because things were so, you know, for so long in, in the church, sports have been a part of, of Sunday. And at first, some of them were reluctant because they were wondering how the scheduling was going to work. But actually, it came out of requests from from parishioners because they had a synod before um, Unleash the Gospel came out. They had an archdiocese-wide synod where people came together from parishes, both the laity and religious, and they just sat down and they talked about what the concerns were. And a big concern that came out against families uh, with families who were trying to be faithful is that it's really hard. You go to Mass, okay, but it's really hard trying to do anything else on a Sunday because you've got all these sporting activities. So would it be possible to, to maybe change that? And there was some reluctance at first because some parents were you know, worried about the scheduling, but most of them, you know, at the end of the day, really, really appreciate and are getting a lot out of it. And it's a lot less hectic for the families. I'm Teresa. I'm currently reading your Walk Softly and Carry a Great Bag. Um, I just get a couple in, um, you know, a day or a week or whatever. And I, I absolutely love it. Um, there's just such great practical little stories. And I love the little prayers at the end. I definitely, um, if you're just looking for a, a little read, I definitely would recommend to anyone to walk softly and carry a great bag. Um, they're great. They're that great book st- is so fun. I, is. That sells like crazy. It's a couple of years old, but I'm telling you, and I wrote it, I designed it because you know me, Amber, you met me. I'm a big, big into my bling and I, I love my bags. <laughs> <laughs> I believe we need to put a, our, our best shoe as well as our best foot forward for the Lord. Um, but I designed it so it would fit in a woman's purse. And you can pick it up, as you said, any day of the week and, and, and read something from it. And they're just little nuggets about life. And it's a little devotional. It's very colorful, but it's a lot of fun. I love that book. It's one of my favorite books. Yeah, it's great. Um, thank you for, for what you do. Cause, um, I definitely have, um, feel blessed that I got to meet you back in October and I have enjoyed, um, reading what you write and listening to you on the radio. Um, since then it's been a real blessing in my life. So, thank Ther- you. so Teresa, uh, if people want more information about you, your books, where should people go? Well, basically they can just go to TeresaTamio.com and I hope they'll do that. I also hope they'll check out my brand new website. I'm going to be writing a book about Italy, but uh, I love Italy. It's a big part of my my new part of evangelization, helping people see the truly beautiful and the good. I've got a brand new website that launched in July, TravelItalyExpert.com, which is doing really well. I'm doing consultations and helping people navigate a pilgrimage or their personal trip to Italy. But TeresaTamio.com, and that'll lead you to TravelItalyExpert.com. And my Facebook page is uh, at Mrs. Teresa Tamio, so tons of info. But the main umbrella website would be TeresaTamio.com, and that's Teresa without an H, T-E-R-E-S-A, as in Teresa of Avila. You always have to do that every time you tell people. Yes, because an people still put an H in it. <laughs> You're like, come on. But I love St. Therese. Don't get me wrong. I love St. Therese, but I was named after Teresa of Avila. Excellent. Well, such a pleasure having you on. Thank you for all that you're doing for our church and, and, and spreading that gospel message and, and hopefully getting those nuns back to our faith. It's, it's so inspiring, your story and everything you're doing for the church. So thanks for coming on Dive Deep, Teresa. Well, thanks for doing this. And, and this is a great way to get the word out. Podcasts are really important. So thanks for being willing to do this. And, and send me the info and I'll make sure I announce it on the radio and people can follow along. Excellent. Sounds good. That is Teresa Tamio. This has been Dive Deep. Thank you so much for coming on. If you'd like more podcasts, go to dial.org slash podcast. And we'll see you next time.